Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm so sorry again today. Like one of the employees cannot show up to work. So I was on the floor. The oh, no time. problem. I, it, we can <laughs> reschedule if you need to go back. It's totally No, fine. it's okay. I think I can just um go down for like a couple minutes. And sure. um, like not a couple minutes, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. That's fine. That's great. That'll be perfect. Okay. No problem. Um, th- Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Okay, we'll jump right into it. Okay. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everyone. I am here with another Q&A. Now, this, I think I'm going to just keep it to this one question because I have a few things to say, and I think at that point, it will be time to move on to the interview. So the question that got submitted this week is, in terms of considering adoption, should I feel bad that I want my child to look like me in terms of skin color? I know it shouldn't bother me, but I just can't seem to move past this. Okay, well, I, first off, it's not that it shouldn't matter, okay? I don't think that that is the right way to think about it because that's just negative speak, like negative self-talk. And that doesn't do anyone's brain any good, especially when it comes to making important life decisions where you need to make sure that you're thinking clearly with your head on straight. So it's not a question of it shouldn't matter or, oh, this is bad and I shouldn't feel this way. That is definitely not the right way to think about it. This is a huge personal decision and you should take into account what you want in probably all things to a certain degree. But I think what the answer to your question is, is you have to think about what your motivations are for wanting your child to look like you. You know what I'm saying? Like, is it because you're afraid of what, the rest of your family, maybe your extended family is going to think or say, or like they won't want your child in like the family picture or something because they don't blend in or they don't look the same? Is it because you're worried that it's going to be hard or that you won't do a good job of raising a child of a different race to you or you just think it'll be too difficult uh, in terms of Or is it because maybe that's what you're familiar with and it's scary to do something new and different? You know what I mean? Like you have to think about what your motivation is for that preference. Like why do you have that preference? Once you figure that out, it becomes a little bit easier to address and break down. If it's because you're afraid that it's going to be too hard in some way or another, That is a very legitimate concern and good on you, honestly, for thinking about that before adopting. I know some adoptees in my own life uh, whose parents probably should have considered that before um, actually adopting a baby because they're not so great at dealing with the hard stuff, you know, when it comes to race and, and, and culture and those types and, you know, identity and those types of things. What I would say to that is 
yes, it will be hard, but from everything I can tell about being a parent, which is not a lot compared to those who actually have children because I don't have children yet, but from what I can tell, it will 100% be worth it. Hopefully, you won't have to do it alone and you either have a supportive partner or family members or friends that you're close with that can help you kind of navigate for yourself as a parent uh, the complexities and the di- you know the weird dynamics that can come from um, having a child of a different race. But if it's something to do with what other people think or if it's an aesthetic thing, which I know sounds kind of weird when you're talking about people, but that is relevant to your question. So if it's either of those two kinds of reasons why you are wondering about this, then I would say this might be harsh, but I don't think you're in the right headspace necessarily to adopt just yet. The reason I say that is because even if you did adopt a child of your own race, there are going to be so many prejudgments and stereotypes that you and your child will have to face in terms of, oh, what do people think about me or my child? Or what do people think about me because I adopted this child who looks a certain way? Like, that's going to happen no matter what. I mean, hell, that even happens like to people who give birth to their own children. But especially when you're adopting, that's definitely going to happen. And to reinforce that even, I would say it is your responsibility as the parent to be strong enough to handle that on behalf of the adoptee because there's no child, there's no adoptee of any age out there that would be able to handle, you know, prejudice and stereotypes and racism and people just generally being mean, um, on their own or without being affected by that for years to come as hopefully you will have known by listening to all the people who talk on this show. So that's not to say you shouldn't adopt and that's not to say that you don't deserve to be a mother in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying that I think it would do both you now and your future self and your future family, regardless of who you end up adopting in the end, a lot of good if you really put in the soul-searching work now to make sure that you are flushing out the reasons behind that preference. Uh, And because otherwise, whoever you adopt is going to end up absorbing whatever baggage like that comes from. So I hope that wasn't too hard to hear, uh, but that is my true and honest and real answer for you. The other thing I would do is talk to other parents who of both kinds, like parents who did adopt people of like a similar race to them and people who didn't. And I think you'll find that between the conversations when you're asking, you know, the parents questions about, you know, did it interfere with the with you loving your children or raising them right or uh anything like that, I don't think that there'll be much of a difference. I think that the parents, or it would be my prediction anyway, that the parents who adopted a child of a different race than them would have answers that look pretty much the same as um, the answers of the parents who adopted a child that does look like them. And maybe that will assuage some of your 
uh, insecurities about it and, you know, some of your fears, really having, you know, real life examples in your life where you are located to help you make your decision. Thank you so much for that awesome question. I really love questions that are honest and show vulnerability and allow me to have a fulfilling on my end and hopefully helpful on your end uh, little response. If you've been liking this Q&A segment and you have a question, then make sure you follow the podcast on Instagram because that is where I call for questions. Moving right along into our interview for today, I really hope you all enjoy it. The only caveat that I have for you on that is this conversation was actually recorded during season two, um, and keeping it real with you all, I didn't actually have a live in the moment guest for this week's episode, and so I am pulling one from the archives that I didn't actually end up publishing in season two for this week's episode. Hi everyone, thanks for coming back for this week. On the show today, I am talking to Yini, who is the owner of the Vietnamese cafe Bon Mi Oi in West Roxbury. Uh, she lives in Fenway and she used to be an IT consultant before COVID. And then after COVID, her and her fiance are the owner of two different Vietnamese restaurants in the greater Boston area. Hi, Yini. Thanks so much for being here and welcome to the show. Hi, um, I'm very happy to be here with you today and um, thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Um, so to kind of jump right into it, I, you know, I'm assuming you've obviously seen the news about what happened in Georgia to um, the six Asian women who worked at massage parlors and as an Asian business owner, um, a restaurant owner, how are you handling that? How are you feeling about what happened in relation to yourself, but also, you know, just in general? Yeah, so um, it's, just, it's a very sad news that um, I heard, um, I read the news on, on um, online about that um, accident, like not accident, but incidents. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really bad. And um, first of all, I feel scared. I feel like mm-hmm. not safe in this um, in this country because um, we are like minority. Um, however, every day going to work, uh, my customer, my clients, all of the vendors um, talking to me, everyone is really nice in um, our um in our area mm-hmm. that's make me um have more confidence and make me more happy whenever they come to us um i feel really bad for um the families the person um who is in the incident and there's not only that in uh, atlanta there's a lot of more around uh, america mm-hmm. so i hope that um we have the voice we have something to stand up and say that um we are doing for America too. We trying to um, help the economy. We trying to like um, live in this um, uh, in this country, and I we hope that we can um, join together with everyone in this um, country to make our countries better and um, have like a peaceful country. Like mm-hmm. in my in like in my in my thought, um, America is welcoming everyone. Yeah. Um, from everywhere in the world. So that is, um, I'm, I'm come from Vietnam. 
Mm-hmm. I was born in Vietnam and came here when I was 20. Wow. So um, that is what I think bef- like before I come here. So I hope that everything is just like that, like just like what I think when I was young. Wow. Um, now, I know you have two restaurants, a cafe and a restaurant, one of which I've eaten at and the food is delicious, I might add. Um have have you experienced uh with either of the you, the places you own you know a drop in in customers because of covid or because of anti-asian sentiment or has it have you not really felt the effects of that um both of their cafes open in July and uh, August 2020 so it's like in the middle of the pandemic right so is this not um, I cannot compare like before COVID and after COVID, um, but after we open, everything is still the same until now. Mm. Um, everyone is very happy. Their Fenway location is a little bit slow in the winter, but it's like a usual thing. So we, mm-hmm. we go out and talk to other business owners mm-hmm. around just that area. So that is very um, common in winter, that area. But West right. Roxbury give me a very welcome very warm, um, welcoming. Um, a lot of people come in talking to me, uh, compliment about the food and stuff, and um, love the story um, about the, the restaurants. And I think that I don't see any different um, mm-hmm. that anti-Asians mm-hmm. or something like that in, in our area. That mm-hmm. which is like, I'm very lucky, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you find or like what is your are your clients primarily white or are they primarily Asian or uh, a, a different race or a kind of a mix? Yeah. Um. So I can say that eighty percent of my um clients is white. Okay. And yeah, and twenty percent is a mix of a lot of like restaurant um Asians um uh. Africans, mm-hmm. Indian, like mm-hmm. a lot of mix uh, in that 20, but like 80% is white. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is common mm-hmm. in West Roxbury. When mm-hmm. I when I read for location, I look at their dem- demographic and that is makes sense for me. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I've always I've always wondered this. Um given that the majority of your customers are white, do you feel mm-hmm. like you have to sort of change the menu or or I don't know, maybe like be quote unquote less Vietnamese because you're 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 working with um, like a white customer base, or do you feel like you kind of just do whatever you want? You make the menu be whatever it is, and if they don't like it, they don't like it. Yes and no. So the missions of um, our cafe is introduce um, authentic Vietnamese cuisine to Americans okay so um I think I get I have a, a lot of like good feedback uh from the client that um they love the Vietnamese food they love um our traditional food however I like after a month or two months I don't remember exactly but after a little while when I open I mm-hmm. add a little bit more like fusions um got we, it yeah like a little bit creative on our menu to like to make us a, a surprise to the, the the clients and they love it too um I don't think that is like I have to cater to them I just mm-hmm. want to like creative on my own so 
um, in the beginning, I do like traditional, everyone in Vietnam doing that. Everyone's like everywhere in America, Vietnamese food is like that. But mm-hmm. right now I create like more like my stuff. Got yeah, it. The base, okay. the base is Vietnamese, but like I create like my stuff on the menu. That's yeah, awesome. So people love it. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, and do I have this right that most of the staff that you employ are young, younger people? Yeah. So I think um, I work in um, Russian industry for like six, seven years after I come here. Mm -hmm. So I think my staff is the youngest team that I ever worked with. Wow. They are like 2019, 2022. And they are very like young people. They are very um, like energies, like mm-hmm. they have a lot of energy every day. It's very fun. We create a very fun um, environment at work. So that's what I, I like. It is harder to train um, for sure. But uh, I think that we we have a young team and we really like it. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I had heard that you had a young staff and I thought that that was really cool. So are you, how are you feeling about, um, you know, what's to come over the spring, over the summer. This will just kind of be a wrap up question in terms of uh, being a minority, being Asian, uh, being a business owner in a time where, you know, because of everything with COVID and um, everything from our former president and every, and, you know, all of that, uh, how do you plan on handling those feelings, you know, you mentioned in the beginning, you feel unsafe and yet the immediate neighborhood around you has been really welcoming. Um, how do you, how do you handle all of that? Um, I think that I just trying to be our, like, we are just trying to be ourselves. Everyone mm-hmm. in um, our team, um, I told them that um, I don't know wherever you go to the restaurant and I don't care about all of the staff over there. Mm-hmm. I want to create a very welcoming environment when the customer come into our store. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care that you have a bad day or something, but trying to push everything away before you come into um, um, our restaurant because we want to create a very welcome environment where very welcome, um, like, um, when you when you talk to customer, so that is what I I trying to do, and um, my job is trying to keep um, the food is good, fresh, and mm-hmm. things. That's why um, that is the two key things that um, the customer love us and um, come back. Mm-hmm. And um, I I don't know about the business yet because it's our first year. Um, mm-hmm. trying go like like we are we are like scaring um the whole year to see like how the sale and something like that. Right. So I don't know about um the summer because I heard <laughs> it's a rumor that the summer is very slow in mm-hmm. uh, West Roxbury because everyone just go vacation and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, let's see what is happened to um to us, and we hope that after vacation they still coming to us uh, to to enjoy some Vietnamese food or something like that. <laughs> awesome. So you feel like overall your Vietnamese culture, your Asian-ness um, is, is a power to you. You know, it's a good thing. It's, it's a positive and you use that to your advantage to create the lifestyle you want and the business you want. Do you feel like that's, that's accurate? 
Yeah, that is what I think actually. Um, so um, that is that is that what my, my mom told told me that you have uh-huh. to be very happy to the customer. You have to be very open to the customer. Um, all the food have to be consistent, clean, and fresh. That is how we keep the customer. There's a lot of places use money to marketing to like reach uh-huh. out to um the the client the customer. However, that is um we 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 are lucky. We mm-hmm. haven't do any marketing yet. The only thing we do is um, helping the community, and um, um, we join a lot of like event in West Roxbury Main Street, mm-hmm. um, and uh, like they are very helpful to us too. Um, there's a lot of like event in uh, small business um, in Boston, so that sector is helping us a lot too. Um, and word of mouth, there's a lot of like community um, group in face- on Facebook and mm-hmm. they talking about us. So those are things that we are trying to aim to. Um, we don't want to like giving like fake marketing or something. We're yeah. trying to, to like be good to our customer and they would tell their brother, their family, their, um, their co-worker, something like that. And that is how we we trying to do because right now if we push marketing a lot of people come to try but we and then i cannot keep the the quality right now we're trying Mm -hmm. to keep the quality first to introduce it to customer and then whenever it is like solid we can push marketing that is awesome we are yeah yeah that totally makes sense i think you know that's a good way to end the show um that even even uh, I feel like your strategy is already working because weren't you just in an article in the Globe for the top 100 takeout restaurants? Yeah, that's yeah, so, so cool. <laughs> this is um, I think that we on a call for three times, and we are very thankful for everyone that helped us to be on that um, newspaper because yeah. it's it's yeah. very big. Yeah. It's very big yeah. for us. Um, after we have published, a lot of customers like come to us and say, oh, we saw you on the club. Congratulations. Yeah. This makes us very happy. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, you can check out, you can see Yini and go to Bon Mi Oi, which is their newest cafe. They also have a restaurant in Fenway. Um, Yini, can you tell everybody wh- what the address is or what your website is where they can order online? Okay, so our bon meal is 1759 Central Street, uh, West Roxbury, 02132. And our website is um, cafe. And where can they find you on Instagram and social media? So very simple. Our Instagram is cafe as well. And also on Facebook, cafe. Awesome. For those of you listening, that is B-A-N-H- M-I-O-I, Bon Mi Oi. And I have had their food, I think, three times now. And it is all so good. Thank you so much, Yini, for being on the show today. I really love talking to you. I think it was such a unique uh, perspective that you have, especially on current events and what's going on. And I just really appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your busy day to chat with me. Thank you so much for um, inviting me. And um, I hope that we can um, meet together sometimes, hang out and uh, learn um, learn more about each other. I think that would be great. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. 
All right, now that was my conversation with Yini, the owner and operator of Banmi Oi Cafe. Now, I've ordered from there before, I think two, maybe three times for takeout, and it is such good food. So I know it'll be tough for you if you don't live in Massachusetts, but if you are in the greater Boston area, then I would highly recommend stopping by and uh having some food from there. It's really, really, really good. And it's some of the better Vietnamese food I've had specifically in Boston altogether. So really happy that she is so close to where I live. Um, now I wanted to talk a little bit about what Yimi and I discussed in our interview uh, because A, it was really, really interesting and I feel like her perspective and perspective from the food industry in general is just so underrepresented. And as a former food industry employee and worker, I um, have a few thoughts and some comments to share with you all about what we talked about. First of all, I think it's really cool that Yini doesn't feel like she has to cater uh, to, you know, the 80% of her customer base who are white. And obviously there are caveats there because she definitely did, you know, change her menu as she went along. But I just love how she said, you know, I ha- I started from like a basic Vietnamese menu where you could find, you know, those dishes anywhere on any Vietnamese menu at any time. And then she built off of that and made it her own and put her own twist on it and added her creativity into it to make it her own unique food. And I think that that's really cool. I think it's a great way of managing uh, a customer base that is 80% white because you don't want to just have, you know, the same thing as every other Vietnamese restaurant uh, because then you won't stand out. And it would make sense to me if all of those, I don't know, quote unquote, like traditional Vietnamese dishes here in the States are already catering to white people to a certain degree and that's why you do see them everywhere. So I think it's really cool that she started there but then took it upon herself to change it up, change the game and make her restaurant and her food stand out compared to all the other Vietnamese restaurants that really probably do, if we're being honest, cater to mostly white people. So that made me really happy to hear. The other thing that I wanted to take most of our time right now to talk about is the idea of the American dream because Yini talked about how she's from Vietnam and she came over here and dabbled in a few different things until she kind of settled on the restaurant industry and how she talked about her hopes for not only her restaurant but for America or more specifically I guess for the America that she was familiar with which is to say you know before she came to America when she was in Vietnam there's a specific idea that people have in their minds of America and a lot of the time that's why they come to the United States. So let's talk about the American dream. That phrase was actually coined in the famous book Epic of America, which came out in 1931. So already we are starting from a very outdated place. The world and society and, you know, all of our social constructs and everything was a lot different back in the 30s. 
Now, what it traditionally was and what uh, the book Epic of America talks about it to be was the idea that it didn't matter where you came from or how you started, but if you put in hard work and time and commitment, then you would see the fruits of your labor grow and prosper and you too could achieve economic independence and just overall wealth uh, in terms of America or at least uh, in the eyes of people who looked in at America from the outside. If you had immigrant parents or immigrant grandparents, then chances are you have probably heard this phrase uh, and heard people you know talk about this idea of the American dream at some point or another in your lives. Definitely doesn't have to be adopted only, you know, it's, it could be anybody. The point that I want to make specifically is that the American dream is no longer, you know, quote unquote, what it used to be. And the American dream now is synonymous with an economic dream where people are trying to achieve economic independence. Now today, with the social climate and social structure that we have in America, it's no surprise to hear that minorities and communities of color do not achieve the same levels of economic freedom as white communities do. Now that is because of a combination of basically two different things. And obviously this is not an economics class or anything, so this is a very watered down and simplified version. Uh, because for all the other non-economic students out there, like myself, uh, this can get pretty confusing. So I'm trying to be as simple as possible. So economic mobility and income inequality. Economic mobility is basically uh, the ability of any individual or family or group of people to improve their economic status from what it was then to something better. And income inequality is, let me see, it's how unevenly income is distributed uh, throughout a population and throughout a community. Hopefully you are still with me at this point. So again, it is economic mobility and income inequality that are the two things that basically determine uh, how close to quote-unquote economic freedom, uh, the American version, one can get. Now, Harvard uh, actually did an equal opportunity project about this entire situation, the whole idea of the American dream and economic freedom, and they discovered through their study that there is 100% irrefutably a correlation between the degree of prosperity or distress in one place or one community uh, and the extent to which that community or that place helps or hinders uh, future earning potential of the children who grow, who grow up in that place. So in other words, you have specific levels of prosperity and distress in a community and the presence of both of those can affect how much money uh, the children of that community will make when they get older and enter the workforce. And the Harvard study, the results are saying that there is a strong correlation which means that when prosperity is high and distress is low in a community, 
then the future earning potential of those children who grew up in that community are higher because they were helped by high levels of prosperity and low levels of distress. Now, of course, it also works in the opposite direction, okay? So we have high levels of distress, which leads to children growing up and entering the workforce with a low earning potential because they were hindered by the amount of distress in their community compared to the amount of prosperity in that same community. That is what the Harvard Equal Opportunity Project basically figured out, that high correlation. I'm mentioning this for a few reasons. There are irrefutable records from many, many, many years all around the country that show that communities of color and minority populations have higher levels of distress when compared to prosperity across the board. Which means that the children who grow up in those communities are automatically entering the workforce with a lower earning potential than those of their white counterparts in white communities because of that imbalance of distress versus prosperity. And you can see that that creates a cycle where you're coming from a community of color, so you have more distress and smaller earning potential and then when you grow up and start working and earning a living you can't earn as much because you've been hindered by all that distress growing up when you were a kid. Now that is not necessarily to say that if there is a person of color working the same job as a white person that the person of color would earn less. I don't know enough about the job industry to make that claim. Uh, I'm I'm sure that that's reality in some places and maybe not in others. And maybe some of you know more about that. But the reason it is important to talk about the whole idea of the American dream being an economic dream in reality is because... Now, I got this idea from a video that I watched uh, at the beginning of last year, so it's, def- it's not my analogy, but imagine this. You and a bunch of friends or a bunch of people you know, they don't necessarily have to be your friends. Maybe you wouldn't want them to be your friends in this analogy. But anyway, okay, so you're playing Monopoly and you are a person of color and there are other people who are white playing the game. Now, everybody knows the rule of Monopoly where you pass go and you collect $200. It's a given rule. It doesn't matter who you're playing with or what board you're playing it on. That is what happens when you pass go. So now, if you're a person of color, imagine you pass go and you don't get to collect $200 and nobody tells you why and nobody says, nobody gives you any explanation. That's just how it goes and you have to play by those rules. The game keeps going and everyone keeps playing and okay, let's say everyone has had five turns at this point and you're about, everyone's about to go for their sixth turn. Now, all of a sudden, the rules are different and people of color are allowed to collect their $200 as they pass go starting on their sixth turn. And this is where the analogy really comes into play because... Now, this is where the analogy really comes into play because basically what the American dream is telling you 
is, okay, so you're a person of color and you've been playing by those rules and now you're about to go for your sixth turn. The American Dream is saying, you have an equal opportunity as anybody else playing this game to buy property and build hotels, right? If you work hard and if you're smart with your money, then you'll be able to own the most property and win the game. Except it doesn't work that way because with these rules, when you're starting your sixth turn, everybody else has had five turns before you where they did get to collect $200 every time they went around and they've had five rounds with that money to buy property and build houses and hotels and only now are you, the person of color playing the game, allowed to collect the same money and do the same things with it. Now my main point in talking about all of this is when you begin with such an extreme level of inequality, going back to our Monopoly example with money and the number of turns you've had, which equals opportunity to buy property in the game, it is so much harder to achieve that level of economic freedom that the American dream sells. Because again, going back to the Monopoly analogy, you're not going to be able to save your money and invest in property if you keep landing on all these other properties that you have to pay rent to because they got bought with the money that you missed out on during turns that you really couldn't participate in at the same level. Now the only thing left to do is to remove the analogy. So instead of playing Monopoly, it's just living your life as best you can. And instead of missing five turns and collecting $200 when you pass go, it is countless economic opportunities over hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the kind of severe and extreme inequality, especially economic inequality in America, that people of color and minorities face when trying to achieve this American slash economic dream. Now, this is not a critique or a bashing of any of the hard work people have put in to achieve whatever their idea of the American dream is. That is not what this is about and that is not my intention at all. What I hope is that this makes all of us, everybody listening and myself, think about what it means to have this American dream as an ideal when it really is, it's not an ethical or altruistic dream like the name uh, implies. It's an economic dream and it's about money and wealth and are you going to be able to afford the life that you want and hopefully deserve? And how can we as a society say, oh sure, you know, everyone, anyone can achieve the American dream and economic freedom if they work hard and work well when the starting point for people of color is truly so extreme that it's incomparable. I will be the first one to admit that I have for sure benefited from a higher starting place than others because of the whiteness of my parents and the whiteness of my family. And I think this is something that I feel guilty about in terms of 
um, looking like a person of color, but feeling white and having grown up in a white family in America, because I can't relate to what it would have been like, going back to the Monopoly analogy, what it would have been like to sit there for five turns and not be able to collect money as I passed go, but everybody else or the people who were white playing the game could. I don't have that experience. I don't, I haven't lived my life witnessing that play out in real time. But Yini has, and so many other people of color have as well. So, yeah. Look, it doesn't matter what skin color you have. I think it's just important to talk about these things and really flush them out in a way that is understandable and relatable uh, because it affects everybody in some way or another. I hope I did a decent job explaining um, the idea of the American dream and the economic dream and um, the monopoly analogy. I will try and find um, the link to the video that I saw where I heard about that analogy for the first time. I think it was last year. Uh, it has just stuck with me because it was, it really helped me understand so much about, you know, American inequality in general, um, and economic freedom. So I will definitely link it if I can, because I think it's a really helpful video. If you are also having trouble, uh, understanding these concepts and these like social constructs that are happening. To end on a high note or a more positive note, I am full of hope when it comes to this kind of thing, because I think that people of color, especially younger generations and upcoming generations, are really like learning and educating themselves about how to speak out on these topics in much stronger and more efficient and communicative ways than previous generations have. And I think that is so beautiful and it makes me so excited and hopeful for um, all of the potential progress that can be made in areas that deal with economic mobility and income inequality, things that really truly do impact the idea of economic freedom. Because at the end of the day, that's just what everybody wants. So there you go. I really hope everyone enjoyed today's episode and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.